Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week we are joined by Matt Davis of the House of Football and Saturday's Football. You can follow him at that Matt Davis, House of Football at the HOFLA and Saturday's Football at Saturday's Football. Also joining us as this week's opponent correspondent, we have Jamin Moore representing the San Jose Earthquakes. He is at Quakes. He also covers the entire world of MLS for American Soccer Analysis at Analysis Evolved. And he, of course, represents Quakes Epicenter at Quakes Epicenter, which is an independent news outlet for the San Jose Earthquakes. And that will be today's opponent correspondent. Of course, joining me as always, our co-hosts, Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening. Welcome. Glad to be back. Glad to have another episode. Glad to see LAFC again this weekend, hoping that we can right the ship and get back on our winning ways. Pleasure to be here with both of you. I'm looking forward to that Matt Davis interview that you both were able to do and want to hear what Jamin says about the Quakes. Every game is important moving forward, so... You know, we need to pull through and I want to hear the tidbits of what makes the quakes and how we can make them quake in their boots. It was actually fascinating, you know, to talk to Jamin and that guy was just so in tune to, I mean, obviously because of everything that he does for the American soccer analysis, you know, you would feel that he has a good hand on the pulse of what's going on in the MLS and other domestic leagues. But I mean, he was just giving such well thought out and just these answers for both sides that it just the analysis and the way he envisioned the game. It was just fascinating. I, I was really enjoying talking to him. That of course is today's opponent's correspondent. Today's interview guest, Matt Davis from House of Football. If you have not had a chance to head over there and see what they have done with this place that he runs. It is absolutely just football heaven. It's an old converted church with a kit store upstairs and like a speakeasy pub downstairs. They got a little futsal pitch out back. It's a perfect place to go and enjoy a game of football. And so the really fascinating interview with him talking about his journey through the world of football some absolutely fascinating stuff unfortunately though he does rent it out on occasion for pop-ups and things like that and so because of the halloween theme it's being rented out for the halloween month of october so he had said that it's not really going to be available for saturday's football and for the house of football until november it is literally a cathedral of football so if you're able to go i highly encourage it of course once fright fest at the york manor is over that's pretty cool that they've rented it out though i I had no clue but once you get a chance to get into proper football season, please go check this place out. It's a perfect spot to catch a game. Food trucks out front, really killer location. But we'll hear more about that in the interview just a little bit later. The website is still available. They have their online store for you. If you were to go and look for any vintage kits from your favorite clubs or things like that, that's uh, saturdaysfootball.com is uh, the website. Yeah, so so many sick old kits. They have like some old bird camp and Henri kits and stuff like that in there that I was looking at that I was oogling over for a while. All right, guys, so why don't, we, why don't we go ahead and get down to what's going on in the world of LAFC at the moment. LAFC have won three of their last four games. This last loss seems to have cast a little bit of a dark cloud over the entire black and gold community. Is it just us being a bit alarmist, or is there something in this game to make us feel that, you know, the three wins previous to that 
pale in comparison to this loss to Portland because it seems as though people are taking this loss pretty hard. And I know we had a ton of wide open chances in this game and this infuriating difference between expected goals and actual goals. And we're by far the worst in the league at not capitalizing on opportunities statistically. And I know that that rears its ugly head once again in this match, but with LAFC just hanging on beneath the playoff level, are we really concerned about this one game? I'm curious you know, what you guys think about whether or not this was as bad as so many people are painting it to be. I don't think so. And I'm a bit of an optimist, right? But in, in a biased opinion. But this was an away match in Portland. And I do know that it's one of those things where LAFC has missed a lot of their high percentage opportunities. And at some point, statistics say that that's just not going to continue to happen. You know, the two wins that we had had at the beginning of the month were both at home against SKC and against RSL. We did play on the road in Austin. Again, though, Austin is one of the weaker teams in the Western Division, and we got a W from there. Portland is a team that's fighting for a playoff spot, and it was in Portland, which never, you know, Providence Park is not just a walkthrough. It's not a place where you're just going to go and the environment is not hostile. So I think that all of those things have to be considered. And it wasn't that LAFC didn't perform well. I felt that it was... LAFC was a little tired. You know, we had just played pre earlier in the week on Wednesday. And I think that we was just unlucky in some of the chances that weren't converted. I'm an optimist too, but this one feels like describes a season where we create a lot of chances. Some of these should have been gimmies or the expected goals within those range. I think it's an anomaly that we miss from that range and how open they were. And what it does is you get punished, right? Our team isn't defensively strong. We always give up at least slightly over a goal on average. So we know that Portland is scrappy. They're very counterattack more oriented. So we were left exposed. And I think it was less than five minutes from each of the missed chances that they, we got scored on. So I think it's cause for alarm only because we're in the run in to the playoffs. And right now having those kinds of chances missed and not coming away with at least a point. That's what's frustrating about the game. Um, the loss, I would be able to accept it more if we played poorly and gave up goals or felt like we didn't dominate the game, but we did. We were the better team. We created the better chances. And two goals that seem to have come out of almost nothing, our defensive mistakes or lack of clearing the ball far causes issues again in terms of goals again. So that's what's disappointing to me. And right now we're playing essentially everyone that is in the playoff picture or in the hunt. So every point is important. This is when I think there's more cause for concern if there's that kind of performance and we don't get something out of it, especially with a direct opponent that we'd be within striking distances or above the playoff line if we would have gotten some points out of that game. No Vela, no Atuesta, no Blackman. The injuries are really starting to pile up for this team. And in spite of all that, you know, we were a couple sitters away from really being able to take points away in this match. I know they had at least one or two wide open looks that they fluffed as well, too. So it could have been much worse the other direction as well. But uh, Raito's early chance and, and Chicho's wide open opportunity. I mean, you know, those are the type of things that or was it Sifu? Sifu. I'm sorry. Chicho set both of them up. Yes. Those need to be on frame. 
those need to be on frame. We've said it way too many times this year. People that you know typically shoot at much higher percentages for whatever reason, and I, I have no idea what to blame it on this year, but for whatever reason, we are just not converting on opportunities. Uh, and I honestly, I honestly don't know what the solution to that is. I mean, it's easy to just say they need to put their shots on frame, right? But there's so, so many times it has happened this year that you have to wonder what the root cause of this is because it certainly seems beyond anomalous at this point. I mean, the anomalies are piling up to the level you you have to say there's some kind of trend here this year with LAFC. We just don't seem to have our shooting boots beneath us. And maybe it's personnel. And, and maybe that's what leads into this next subject that we want to talk about here real quick. And after we introduce this player, I suppose we can circle back around to the idea of how this might have been a byproduct of what we've seen of late from LAFC and their their failure to convert. Now, look, Chicho's been fantastic. Five goals, five games. Sensational. Set up both of those. Should have had two assists in this game as well, too. But he can't do it alone. And if the remainder of the people in the offense aren't going to cut it, well, perhaps that's why we've reached once again into the depths of minor league talent, so to speak, for within domestic soccer to try and find yet another talent. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to our new player and then give me your thoughts as to whether or not you think this has anything to do with our lack of finishing ability this year. So forgive me if I mispronounce his name. It's going to be one of those ones where it'll take some time, right? Michi Naglina. So I, I got I got two thoughts on this real quick. All right, so if you guys could just rabbit hole with me for a second, I just want to be silly for a moment. Have you ever seen the movie City Slickers? Of course. Yeah. Mitchie the Kid, right? Okay. <laughs> so when I see his name is, I, I don't even know if it's pronounced Mitchie, but I just think of City Slickers and Mitchie the Kid, which I don't know. It's a fantastic movie. Kids out Ooh. there listening, if you've never seen the movie City Slickers, fantastic movie. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Go rent it. Give it a whirl. And then I think the last name, yeah, I think I think we discovered it's it's Nagalina, which just right. reminds me of of that song I was making fun of before we started recording. Which I don't know if I have Gas- my singing voice on, but you know, Gasolina, right? It's kind of kind of sounds like the same thing. So that's what I think. I think it's Michi Nagalina, but I, I could okay. Be. Uh, well, that's what it is now. So, okay, so Michi Nagalina. So he's 21 years old. He is on loan from the Colorado Switchbacks, which is a USL championship side. It was in general allocation money, $50,000 was sent to Colorado. And this loan deal is through 2022. And additionally, LAFC had to receive an international slot, which was acquired from the Vancouver Whitecaps for an exchange for an additional $50,000 of general allocation money. This year for the switchbacks, he's made 21 appearances, started 20 of them, and he has recorded eight goals and eight assists in uh, just over 1,800 minutes. Nagalina has played for the Philadelphia Union and their USL affiliate, the Bethlehem Steel, making his MLS debut in May 25th of 2019 versus Portland. He is from the, uh, he is native of Congo, now, is this the Democratic Republic of Congo or is this of Congo? Democratic. Republic. Oh, okay. Okay. So this, so he's a native of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah, and, his hometown, uh, uh, where he's from, uh, forgive me if I butcher this, Kinshasa, Kinshasa, DR Congo. Okay. Yes, there you it is right there. Is this a loan or is this an acquisition? No, it's a loan. 
It's a loan deal. Interesting. He is also a product of the Monteverde Academy, which also was the place where we found Mamadou Fall and Mohamed Traore. So let's see. So some vitals. Uh, Born in 2005-10. And like I said, it's an initial loan period starting September 21 of this year. So, I, I mean, I haven't seen much footage on him, but I'm I'm excited to take, again, just another young player. If you take some, I know that uh, on social media, a lot of the Colorado Switchbacks fans were not happy that he was getting loaned out. I mean, they should be happy if it's a loan. He's going to get experience, we think, right? Well, or- I think that it's the fact that they're looking to push for a, a run in the playoffs, and now they've just lost one of their better players on their starting 11 and I think it's one of those things where any they need as much help as they can get in order to be the most successful that they can be with this season and there's no guarantee that this loan is coming back it's described as an initial loan which typically means that there's some qualifiers that can be met that would make it a purchase so I think initial loans typically have something in it that says if a player does so much or stays so long or if the right offers are made, who knows what those qualifications are, that this person could be brought on permanently. 50000 in GAM to the Colorado Rapids for the rights to him, and then $50,000 for the international slot. It does occupy the international slot being from Congo. So that's, I mean, that's not a small amount of money in MLS world to throw at a 21-year-old striker. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos yet, but he has an awesome celebration with some tumbles and some backflips. It's pretty acrobatic. It's 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 solid. I hope we get to see it and see it soon for sure. I haven't seen video on him, but I did get a chance to listen to the MVP podcast, Max and Vince, and it did mention that he's more of a true winger, which if we're going to play 4-3-3 ever again this year or with Bella still out and we want to play three up top, I think having someone like him makes sense. Also, we only had kind of Muzovsky as a true option in Portland. So if we want to make some additional changes in terms of the offense or if there's an injury, I think it makes sense from a depth perspective. I know that there's a lot of outcries out there in terms of why are we going to USL? People forget that the transfer window is closed. There's only certain kinds of players or contracts that you could take on. So here, it's one of the things I won't criticize LAFC in which they've actually been pretty decent at identifying USL players and make, kind of making them into utility players or starters and being able to integrate them and have them contribute. So hopefully he surprises us. I think a lot of people were surprised that Chicho didn't start off so well, but now he has five goals in five games. So if he could do something half as good, I think it would be a, a good contribution. Or if he could put the ball on frame, I think that's, way more than we were doing right now. I think, you know, the Colorado Rapids have a lot of talent in the forward position anyway. So many of those other people that they have playing up front, there's just not a space for this person either. So, you know, might as well get them going, get them moving on to that next spot. So rather than have this person waste away potential career to lower level, if they have the talent to come up here and prove it, which JT certainly thinks this person does, fantastic. Bring them on up. So I guess back to the question at hand, do you think that this particular signing of a forward is in direct response to the inability of our current roster to capitalize on opportunity, at least as what we've dramatically seen statistically? And I think from the eye test, we can all say that that's been an issue. I think it's part of it. I think I mentioned the depth, but yeah, I think when you fresh blood, I have a theory as to why earlier on in the season, we weren't focused in front of goal. I think it was... 
the Rossi and Kay saga, knowing that they were going to leave or negotiating those things. And there was a dark, unspoken cloud, at least to the supporters around that. And they were probably not mentally all the way there. And they usually perform well. I think if Rossi's not putting the ball in frame and scoring and Vela's hurt, then there is kind of over time, I think there was a culture of feeling like they can't get over the hump. And then when Chicho comes and Raito comes back and he's still here. I think there's kind of that overlap. I thought we had broken through that or gone over that with the trend uh, upwards with the Galaxy, but it seems like we remembered it again. So I think this weekend's game is important to be able to break through that again from a mentality standpoint. The team did push and left it all out there, but I think when we're in front of goal, I think we're over either overthinking or not just acting instinctually. We, we need to get back to that. That's what would, you know, the team we fell in love with in 1819 and the beginning of 2020. So before we jump into our opponent correspondent and start to preview the upcoming match versus San Jose, I just wanted to stop real quick and thank everyone in the 3252 and everyone in the folks at Global Diplomatic and everyone who participated in our trip last weekend down to the orphanage in Tijuana, Mexico. We ended up going to the Casa de Esperanza Orphanage. It's a beautiful event put on by the folks at Global Diplomatic. We dropped off an entire van full of donations from the 3252. That's such a fun day with these kids. Global Diplomatic brought a clown out that did this really unique clown show. I've never seen a clown show in a foreign country before, and I didn't realize like how different like a Mexican clown show would be as opposed to seeing clowns as a kid here in the U.S. So it was a cultural experience for me to get to see how different uh, that experience was for these kids. Birthday presents, pinatas, played a game of football, had this local restaurant come out and make these gorditas for everybody that were sensational. It was a really fun day, really impactful in these kids' lives and just goes to speak to these concepts of a force for good and being a member of the community and seeing so many people in the 3252 and, you know, other groups that are outside of, you know, the 3252 SGs, like, you know, Pride Republic and Los Tigres del North End and so many other people chipping in to help out, really make an impactful event for those kids was fantastic to see. And it was a really, really beautiful experience. So, so hats off to everybody who was a part of that. And, you know, every time you see us sharing global diplomatics work out there, This is yet another example of them stepping up for the L.A. sporting community and really being an ambassador in a positive way for for human rights relief wherever the LAFC fans may go. That was was a really kicking experience, and I really hope you all can join me next time because it was a lot of fun. So thank you to everyone who was involved with that. Global Diplomatic 3252, really great work, and it was really awesome to be a part of. So cool stuff there. And with that, we'll be back after this with our new opponent correspondent section. Joining us this week will be Jamin Moore at Quakes to analyze the San Jose Earthquakes. He is a soccer analyst with at Analyst Evolved, the American soccer analysis, and from Quakes Epicenter at Quakes Epicenter. We'll be back right after this. Hey, this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, and uh, for this week's opponent correspondent, we have Jamin Moore from the Quakes Epicenter, which is a independent news outlet covering the San Jose Quakes. Jamin, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. 
All right, no, I'm doing great, man. I appreciate it. I'm ready for this uh, this big game this weekend. Uh, both teams are very hungry, looking for three points to try and help them get over that playoff line into the playoffs in the postseason. It's a big weekend, yes, for both teams. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, both teams, I think, are looking to try and find their their hot streak to finish off the season, huh? Right. You know, it's kind of kind of key for the earthquakes They're uh, They were slipping, I think, out of any hope of making the playoffs, to be quite honest. And then took three goals against Austin FC in the second half last weekend in order to be able to get them back in a position where it's at least possible for them to make, make that final playoff spot. I think that definitely San Jose is one of those dark horses to be able to make the playoffs. It, it's just a, a games have to matches have to fall their way and uh, lucky breaks, especially for, I mean, for both teams, really, when you think about it. But I do think that San Jose is a team that we have to be concerned about in the West. Certainly, if they are able to get three points from LAFC, it bodes well for their ability to at least contend. You know, I think a lot of people are looking at the 48 points as kind of like a magic number for that playoff line and the earthquakes are sitting on, you know, 30. If they're going to to get to 48, if that's what it's going to take, it's going to take two points a game for them. They're going to have to be able to continue to get points in games against the other teams that are they're fighting over those spots with. If you give away three points to one of those teams at this point, you just made it much harder on yourselves to make the playoffs. Absolutely. And the fact that we're only playing West Coast teams, it's just everybody's taking points from everybody else. And when you get a, a, a lower ranked team beating a higher ranked team, it, it just makes it all the more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And this will be a, a big test for the earthquakes. Uh, you know, as you know, they were able to, to get a 2-1 win over LAFC earlier in the season. And you know, it's going to take a high quality performance such as they gave in that particular game. But that's something that they've been struggling to do consistently game in, game out, uh, particularly on the attacking side of the ball. I think defensively, it's been good up until the last couple of games, you know, over, over you know, a, a longer stretch. But, uh, but this is where, you know, they're going to need to tighten up both that defense and be able to, to create some attack. Perfect. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you wouldn't mind for our listeners, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how long have you been covering the San Jose earthquakes? Yeah. So I've been covering the earthquakes now on the media side for about four years. My specialty is really in the uh, the data analytics. I also write for American Soccer Analysis. A lot of people might be familiar with that website at Analysis Evolved on Twitter. And we have another Twitter account called Gameflow XPG that we tweet out all the matches from MLS, USL Championship, USL, League One, NWSL, and, and share momentum meters throughout those matches. And it gives fans uh, who maybe missed a game a good sense for what the momentum was like in the match. So my background, like I said, is really kind of on that uh, data analytics side and writing articles for Quakes Epicenter, as well as American Soccer Analysis. We also host a podcast show on YouTube, a video show called The Aftershock, where we do provide post-game coverage of the earthquakes, about an hour show after every game, including coverage of the press conference. And uh, we get to ask Matias Almeida and a couple of players in the press conference questions as well. So I'm uh, that kind of official media tag that lets me get to participate in those press conferences. That's awesome. And so the analytics part of things, how did you get into that? For me, it was, I've always been into analytics in other sports. Once I really kind of got into MLS back in the 2012 season when the we, the earthquakes, and, and at the time, you know, I, I didn't really know 
a ton about the team coming into the 2012 season. I kind of went to follow them a bit in 2011 and uh, just kind of noticed throughout the 2012 season that there really wasn't a lot of data available out there in soccer like there is in, in other sports that I had followed more religiously, I would say, you know, prior to that. But the more I got into what was possible with soccer analytics and then found groups like American Soccer Analysis and, and eventually be able, was able to uh, kind of join them and, and become a contributor there, I got to uncover kind of more and more. And, and now I think we're onto some pretty exciting things. It's a good time you know, for analytics in the sport of soccer in general, it's starting to gain a lot more mainstream acceptance. When you say expected goals, people don't necessarily look at you completely sideways anymore. You know, so, so definitely that's a, that type of conversation is becoming more normal, particularly in the United States where we're a little bit more used to data analysis and other sports. And now it's uh, starting to get a foothold into Europe as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, just, and when you look at it, a match from the analytics perspective, it tells a totally different narrative sometimes that, you know, sometimes the team that lost actually had the better stats on the pitch and their passes were on and, and, and everything about it. But it's just at the end of the day, the result was the result. And, you know, getting a look at those analytics can definitely help give you an indicator of how the actual club is performing at that moment in time. Soccer is a high luck sport. And a lot of times the better team doesn't win in soccer. And I would take a good look at uh, LAFC as a really prime example of a team who has been underperforming what the underlying numbers say, particularly some of the data that I look at that I write about on American Soccer Analysis for a project called Where Goals Come From. We're on our 10th article now in that series, and specifically the types of opportunities that help elite teams win championships, LAFC is actually very good at generating. It is definitely a bit surprising, perhaps unlucky, but also, you know, in, in particular moments, you know, they've given up goals that they shouldn't have and, uh, and such. So they've been, they've been hurt by not performing as well on the offensive side as the numbers say they should be. And, and they've also been hurt by the fact that they've probably given up more than they should have as well. Personally, I think it's a team that is probably should be third or fourth in the conference just based upon, you know, their performances. And when I look ahead at what it's going to take in order for the Quakes to land a playoff spot. LAFC standing in the way doesn't make me feel very good about the Quakes' chances, to be quite honest. Well, you know what? The Quakes definitely did a number on us this last match, you know, and, and it was, again, one of those late-minute goals that probably shouldn't have been given up by LAFC, and I feel like that's been the narrative for the last couple of seasons is our defense at the end of matches. You know, we looked at a stat line where – it had said that if LAFC hadn't given up in the last 10 minutes, if you were to take the last 10 minutes away from every match this season, that LAFC would have had like another like seven or eight wins. You know, it was just those last 10 minutes where there was the difference maker on whether it was a, a tie or a loss. And it's just uh, one of those things that it gets to be those last 10 minutes and you just like cross your fingers and you're just praying that nothing else goes wrong. Yeah, dropping points can be very frustrating, particularly when you know you're the better squad and, and then you give up those points. Yeah. If you could tell some of our listeners, you know, what is the style of play that San Jose currently is using? I know that, you know, sometimes managers like Matias Almeida might look to change things up based on who is injured and who's available. So what is San Jose currently using as their formation and some of their tactics? So Almeida's go-to formation ever since he's come to MLS has really been a 4-2-1-3. He envisions that he has three forwards. He likes to play through his wingers. He likes the double pivot. A lot of people don't think Jackson Yule, for example, is a six, particularly 
seeing how he plays in the U.S. national team. But the truth is that he's kind of a regista beside a defensive midfielder, you know, in that type of role. And, and Matias, for the most part, likes to play him that way. But this year they've taken on Javier Eduardo, actually, is the name he prefers to go by, Shofis Lopez, who's now got 10 goals. A lot of people may know he scored five goals last week, three of them on a really interesting hat trick, one of the more interesting and, and, and varied hat tricks, I think, uh, people have seen in the league. And then follow that up with a two-goal performance, including a penalty kick that helped win the game for the Quakes, you know, down in Austin. So coming off of a five-goal week, he's got an, a really sweet, left foot. He tends to be put at the 10 for Matias Almeida. On occasion, you'll see him play on the right wing where, where he actually played at Chivas for Matias a few years back when Chivas was going on their run of winning titles in Liga Mekis. But he's been a key for the team. He is, you know, effectively their offensive kind of, I guess you could say, a juggernaut uh, this year. Other players who have stepped up in the past, like Chris Wondolowski, Christian Espinoza, and others in this team, even Jackson Newell, you know, have not really played up to the level this season that, that they have in the past two seasons with Almeida. And so it's been up to uh, Shofis to carry a good bit of the load from the attacking side. So it'll be interesting to see, kind of in light of those performances, whether Matias decides to play him at the 10 or uh, give him another shot at the right wing where he actually got the hat trick performance. When you're looking at uh, the recent matches, you know, uh, obviously you guys just had a big win in Austin where you came back from being down to finish that. Do you feel like that momentum is going to carry through when you host LAFC this weekend? As an analyst, I don't believe in momentum, to be quite honest, other than in-game momentum. That said, I do think that there is an element of confidence that's really kind of important in the way that players approach the field. I do think that this team has been streaky under Almeida for a variety of reasons. And a lot of that has to do with how they play defensively. When the Quakes play aggressively, when they step to balls, when they're tight on their men, the system tends to work. And overall, the man marking, you know, that Matias uses, or even some of his more uh, zonal uh, flavors of the man marking, which I think he utilized a good bit against LAFC the last time that they played in order to try to keep some of the, the attacking firepower in front. You know, those things uh, tend to come and go because as soon as the wrong configuration of players or the wrong tactics or the wrong injury, I guess you could say, you know, seems to affect this team, dominoes start to fall and, and things start to fall apart. It's the defense that concerns me at the moment, giving up seven goals in the last two games first to RSL at home, and then with four goals in a loss, and then the three goals against Austin FC that forced them to have to come back to win 4-3. If they put in that type of defensive performance against a team like LAFC, I mean, you're, you're looking at a five or six goal game. It's, it's not going to be pretty for the earthquakes. So hopefully for the quake's sake, Matias has figured out kind of, you know, why they've uh, been probably giving up too much space and these types of situations a little bit too much individual runs and such through the middle that haven't been tracked very well by the defensive midfielders, some errors on the, uh, the outside back positions as well defensively. And, you know, they need to, to clean those up if they're going to have a, a chance to get points against LAFC. You touched on some of the concerns that you have with playing LAFC. What are some of the positives, some of the things that you're expecting to see that are going to be, you know, good for San Jose against LAFC? Well, I think anytime you play an LA team, it's a big deal. 
right? And the earthquakes definitely get up for playing the LA teams. I think two of their best games this season, quite honestly, were against uh, the Galaxy away and and the LASC game that they played earlier. I think those are two games that, you know, it's very clear that this team understands the importance of beating LA. There's, you know, they always run that hashtag beat LA. And, and, you know, I think it is something that the players understand is very important to the fans. And uh, they do put in, they always seem to, at least anyway, put in extra effort against the LA teams. And uh, to be more, to be, to be honest about it, more recently, they've, they've competed very well against LAFC. I think there was a point where they were very intimidated by, by LAFC and, uh, and, and Bella and Rossi and, you know, some of the attack uh, from that particular team and, and the defense was, you know, a bit, you know, mismatched at times, but, you know, I feel like they've won enough now to have enough confidence that they feel they can go against LAFC toe to toe and, and be able to get points. The problem I see for the quakes is that they got to fix this stretch of losses and draws not being able to win on their home turf and MLS, it just doesn't work for you to make the playoffs. If you're not winning your home games, no matter what you're doing on the road right now, this team is a better road team than they are a home team. And that has to be fixed if they're going to be able to, to make the playoffs. And that needs to, to start with LAFC. San Jose will have an opportunity to be road warriors come October. They do play San Jose comes in, into Los Angeles Saturday, October 16th. Is there anything that you feel that, would change tactics wise or player performance wise, especially having these matches within a month of each other. You know, if, if the match goes a certain way, would you anticipate seeing something potentially being changed in the October match? Certainly Matias, I think now has become much more flexible, you know, particularly with the man marking the, the, where he chooses to press the pressing triggers that he utilizes and every game is, is almost a, another test in order to see if, if he's picked the right tactics of uh, how to be able to play that team. Certainly having one game under his belt against LAFC this season gives him something to go on. And, you know, he'll test that hypothesis again and this weekend. And if, if it fails for whatever reason, you know, then he'll probably adjust tactics to that. Certainly he's done that fairly successfully against some of the stronger teams in the West. What's really interesting about the quakes is how well they've done against better teams in the West this season overall. And, but yet uh, against the teams that are in the middle of the table or bottom of the table, they've actually done worse. I think that's something that both it's a mentality thing. They have to be able to get over. And also from Matias's perspective, he has to make sure that the, uh, the things that he does against the better teams are, are things that he's going to also bring into those games you know, against uh, teams that he feels he should be able to control the game a bit better. So one of the things that Matias likes as a Marcelo Bielsa disciple is really that concept of kind of controlling the game, having the ball, you know, making the defense particularly kind of react to you and you kind of dictating the terms of the match. That's not something they've been generally successful at this season. And so it's forced Matias to, to have to adapt to different teams, particularly and I think like against teams that are at their level or below, he still wants to be the protagonist that hasn't really gone well all the time his way this season, particularly at home, to be honest. Well, I, I definitely am looking forward to the match this weekend. I think it's going to be a great testament to the forms of these two clubs, and it's going to be an indicator as to where they are 
on their road to uh, the postseason. So um, again, thank you very much. Our guest tonight was Jamin Moore, who uh, is at J M O O R E Quakes for his social media handles. He is also an analyst for the Quakes Epicenter at Quakes Epicenter. And also he helps contribute to the American soccer analysis that is at Analysis Evolve. That's where you can go and get all sorts of stats and analysis and analytics for the American soccer game that we all love today. And he's also a contributor for the Black and Azul and the Aftershock podcast. Again, thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate you taking the time to give us all a little bit of information about our match this upcoming week. And we can't wait to have you on again. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. Take care. That was our interview with Jamin Moore of the San Jose Earthquakes. All right, gentlemen. So the Quakes coming up this weekend. What are you expecting from our March North to the South Bay? I think that uh, San Jose has a very Jekyll and Hyde uh, run of form lately. You know, I, I do think that anytime we go and play in San Jose, it is a, you know, a rivalry match of sorts. So it's never going to be one of those things where it's just straightforward. But I do know that there's a lot of 3252 members that are going up there and traveling up north for the match. So I think it's going to be a great environment. And I think that uh, LAFC are going to be able to come out and they're going to perform well. I think that they also want to get a little bit of momentum leading into playing against the Galaxy in, uh, in about a week. I agree. I think my prediction for this game is going to be 3-2, a little bit of a shootout. I think it's going to be a battle of newcomers, trophies. Had a hat-trick last game and still lost 4-3. So they are a little bit of a running gun. And then LAFC obviously is attack-minded. And it's going to be a matter of making offensive and defensive plays, which I think we're capable of. So as long as we put the ball on frame enough, I think we'll create enough chances to score at least three goals. I think Chicho gets another two. I think Brian gets the game winner. That's what I'm going with. I think uh, it's going to be a 3-5-2 situation again, and it'll be a thriller. So, Jonathan, I hope you enjoy that right up and down this weekend. The usually epic. Make sure you hit the right record button. It's a deep cut for those that have been listening to previous episodes. Yes, uh, epic San Jose bus trips. I, I am once again going to be hanging out with the folks at Global Diplomatic. So I'll be going to the game with them and then participating in their inaugural supporter football match the following day. So I, I'm going to have to play keeper, although I'm hearing my team is going to be comprised of people like, you know, Vince De La Rosa and, and a few others. So uh, uh, hopefully I, I can do them proud. As far as this game versus San Jose, I'm, I'm so confused by the San Jose team. You know, prior to their last two matches, they'd gone a month without scoring more than one goal in a game. And they now have seven goals in their last two matches. So it's, it's, it's just one of those Jekyll and Hyde teams that, you know, if you catch them on a day where, you know, trophies can't be stopped, which is exactly what he looked like a couple games ago for them, or Wando comes in and does Wando things, you, you never know. You could be looking up at a crooked number. Or we could see what we've seen out of them through the better part of the summer, which is an offense that looked fairly inept. So I have no idea if they just took advantage of some poor teams in Austin and Real Salt Lake, or, or whether this is actually a team that is this formidable offensively. So who knows? Who knows what we're going to see from San Jose? But it's typically fireworks whenever we go up there. 
usually the atmosphere is is lively and and hopefully a, a good amount of 3252 can make it up this time and we get another one of those environments where there's a solid amount of away sport and i don't know if it's going to be another one of those trouncings like we have put on them in the past but we've had our shooting boots in the three games prior to this last game versus portland and if we could have just aimed that ball at the net in the last game you know that trend might have continued so i'm hoping those those little missed shots are are not something that comes back to haunt us in this game and i'm really looking to see what percentage of our shots are on goal and i think if we have a decent percentage of shots on goal in this game we're going to be coming home with those three points desperately needed at this point. Those three points still might not be enough to get us over the playoff hump, depending on how other teams perform. So it's, it's essential at this point that any point available is a point captured with games coming up versus Seattle, Portland, Carson teams like San Jose are teams. We have to beat. I know they're only one win behind us in the table, but they're behind you in the table. And at this point in the season, you can't lose to someone behind you on the table. So it's, it's a must win. I know it's not statistically a must win yet, but that's how it's feeling when we're looking at the rest of the schedule. And if we're able to come away with three points, sigh of relief. If we come out of San Jose without points, you know, it, it might be time to start thinking that this team is not going to make the playoffs. And I think we're really in that desperate a situation at this moment, just looking at the teams we have yet to play. It's not going to be that bad, man. We are going to, we're going to come out and we are going to play well. You know, I was, thinking about it you know in our inaugural season and i see it right here behind me i have a plaque that says our original season record was 16 9 and 9 and we had 57 points in that season we can do that again you know we statistically can still capture that many points this season it's going to take a little bit of luck but an opportunity but it's also going to happen if we capture uh, the moments and are prepared right what is it what's that phrase i'm sure jonathan knows it the one where it's like uh, luck is uh when opportunity meets uh preparation preparation, preparation. you nailed it you nailed it i'm yeah. sure philly would approve <laughs> i'm just saying you know what i think we're due and all we need is just to get on a good run and catch the wave into the playoffs all we need is additional own goals from the other teams to be able to eke it out Bro, I don't like your negative tone, bro. No, no bad juju on this episode. No, bro. no, how is that bad juju? Own goal is helpful. It is. I'll take, I'll take all the own goals. Yeah. That's fine. We'll take we'll take all the help we can get from the other team. I said three. They want to kick the ball in the back of their own neck, go for it. Yeah, three, two. Two goals from Chicho, one from Brian. That's what I'm saying. I like it. I like to see Sifu get one. It's been a while. I feel like he's had a few opportunities, haven't gone his way or the way of the goal, or even toward the goal. But I would still like to see him get his shooting boots under him uh, and get back on the score sheet. Well, he almost I scored the goal I, of the year. Like dude, the that video. deep shot was, oh, you could see it like it started the curve. And then when it got to the middle of the curve, it just stopped. It just stopped. And then it hit the post. That would have been. Oh. Say love so, the I sad think thing that... is that that was closer than the one within the box. Wow. Yeah, by a mile. I think that Chicho Rungo is now tied with Diego Rossi for leading in goals this season. How does that make you guys feel? I think it just speaks to how few goals we've scored this year. I think it speaks to where Rossi's mind was at when he was here this season. Who? No, he got an assist today. Good. Yeah. Hey, boy, Rossi. <laughs> I wish him all the best. We all do. He's still our first. We still love him. I'm just joking. 
All right. Well, unless you guys got anything else more on San Jose, I think uh, we're ready to go ahead and move on to the interview portion of the show. So in just a moment, we will be back with Matt Davis. Uh, he is, of course, the proprietor of the legendary House of Football and the Saturday's Football Kit Shop. We'll be right back with that interview after this. I'm Larry Friedman, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us today is Matt Davis. You know him from House of Football and Saturday's Football. If you have not had a chance to check out this amazing venue, we would really, really highly recommend you take a trip over to the Old York Manor, which has now been converted into, one might say, a church of football with a beautiful kit store, an absolutely wonderful game day experience downstairs. We are so thrilled to have Matt Davis with us today. You can follow him at that Matt Davis with one T. Of course, House of Football is at the H-O-F-L-A. And Saturday's football at Saturday's football. Please welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, Mr. Matt Davis. Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. We are huge fans of everything that you've done at the York Manor and with House of Football and and just Saturday's football. It's such an amazing place to be able to walk in and find, you know, those those vintage kits and and just all of the apparel that's in there. It's I mean, it, it just takes you back to such a throwback. You know, it's just such an appreciation for that old style stuff that you just hardly ever see anymore. Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. Let's put it that way. <laughs> One of the things we wanted to do with the store portion of the house of football was make sure that we had over a thousand vintage kits at any time in the store so we could provide everybody with sort of like history of football while they're shopping. So for those of our listeners that are not familiar with the location, why don't you go ahead and just take us a little bit through the history of the site and the services that you provide and exactly what a game day or a shopping experience might be for our listeners who are not familiar with the location. Right. So, well, I mean, it all starts with Saturday's football, really, because, you know, I started that brand about four years ago now, almost four years ago in like my garage. And then we graduated quickly after about a year, year and a half to a small thousand square 1500 square foot office and then I always had sort of this ambition to have a clubhouse and that's sort of where the house of football was born is this idea of having a clubhouse where you'd have um, a place to play a place to watch matches a place to activate really cool football culture stuff and then a shop so there's a place in Highland Park near where I live I'd driven by a thousand times um, and then uh, one day it just came up available so, you know, we put in an offer and they said yes somehow. <laughs> so here we are. So so that's how that all started. And then, you know, obviously it's an old church. It's a hundred year old church. So where the retail space is, is, a, is where they used to hold mass. The backyard is a 3v3 pitch. Then we converted the basement into a speakeasy with eight, TV, eight 75 inch TVs, a projector, a bar, three private rooms, a main area to watch matches. And then there's uh, food trucks out front with dining area and then soon we'll be converting the upstairs there's some upstairs rooms into fifa lounges to play fifa so it'll be basically if you are into football at all it's a dream situation and it's it's not like anything that just doesn't exist in the united states really doesn't exist anywhere in the world this kind of thing we're fortunate enough to do it in la and we're really close to putting one in another u.s city really soon in the next like three or four months we may have that locked down have our second location and the whole idea would be to put these in 20 major markets you know where you have like 
the right sort of football culture and, and be the hub for all things American football culture in those uh, markets. I'm curious, you know, to know that how you had gotten started and located all these kits, right? Like was some of it your own personal stuff that you had just started selling or did you actively go out and seek merchandise to then resale? So we have two parts of the whole Saturday's football experience. One is our merchandise and then the other is the vintage kits. So the vintage kits you know, obviously I've had a 30 year obsession with it. So I've learned a lot over 30 years. <laughs> what's what and, and what's authentic, what's not authentic, what I love, what the American sort of market loves. Now that we have a lot of new people coming into the game, the last 10 years, there's a lot of people that are, are just getting into football, you know, here in the United States, which is really cool. So yeah, it was some of my stuff, but then then I've just been working with dealers all over the world. We'll work with very, very reliable dealers all over the world in every continent. We have wholesale dealers that we work with that we know are reliable and everything's authentic and good. And we'll buy once every couple of weeks. And so each week we'll have arriving at the store another box of probably like 100, 150 new kits. Not new, vintage kits, but <laughs> they're new to us, but vintage kits. And so the store stays nice and stocked with anywhere between like a thousand and fifteen hundred. Very cool one of one kits. So this is obviously a religious experience you've created for the church of football, so to speak, yeah. at Saturday's yeah. football. So obviously we can assume that your passion is a long-lived endeavor. So we'd kind of like to rewind the clock all the way back to when you fell in love with the beautiful game. And can you tell us how football comes into your life? <laughs> for me it was it was playing. So, you know played since I was like three or four years old. Then, you know, back when I played though, it's just come such a long way. I'm 47. I've seen the landscape go from, I tell everybody I grew up in the desert portion, meaning that when NASL folded and before MLS started, there's this American football desert. That was sort of my period of growing up, which was, uh, you know, it's pretty lonely when you, you think about it, like, you know, even trying to watch matches, now we take it all for granted that you can pop on the TV and catch any, you know, league in the world, really. I remember being, you know, like a 12-year-old kid with a VCR, set in the VCR at like 2 a.m. There's some public channel that's playing Bundesliga highlights, you know, and then I would just like tape them every time and collect all the VHS tapes. And then, you know, like that was my treasure, just re-watching and re-watching and re-watching because you didn't really have anything. So yeah, for me, it was playing and, you know, I went from there and I got a full, full ride, you know, D1 scholarship to college. And at the time, you know, there's no professional league. So there's no MLS. When I came out of college, it was really either played, it was called the A-League at the time, which I guess is comparable to USL championship now or indoor because indoor was owned by a lot of the like hockey teams and NBA teams and stuff like that. So the players really good, a lot of foreign players, Precky, like, you know, I played against Precky, I played against Tattoo, I played against all these like really good players. And then, you know, after a while you see, that was like 94, 95 when I came out and then, you know, the league comes in at 96 and in 96, to be honest with you, a lot of us were like, this league's not going to last, like it's going to be like three, four years and then it's going to be gone. Now we sit here and you look at it and it's just, it's just blossomed and come a long way and it's very secure. But at the time, honestly, you talk to anybody in the game at the time that was playing or, or doing anything. And it was very much like, who knows, who knows what's going to happen with this league. You know, when I was about five, six years into playing professional indoor, I just, you know, decided I wanted to go into business instead. Just thought, cause it was different then. There wasn't a lot of like 
U.S. players abroad, like you see today, like there's a thousand U.S. kids. <laughs> there's kids in in Europe you never heard of at, you know, second, third division team, stuff like that. So back when I was playing, it was very rare. I mean, you were on the national team. You had some chances to go abroad and stuff like that. But so I just, yeah, from then I just went into business. So we just started and grew businesses and sold businesses. And, and I've kept a few and I went entirely into business since then until now. So along this journey, you would always still want to be connected to football in the United States. Can you talk to us a little bit about your motto that you guys go by of free to play and what that means to you? Yeah. So we have a, our big campaign at Cyrus football is always play free. That is like sort of a dual meaning because we enjoy players that play free <laughs> that, that, that show their personality down the pitch, but also that comes into play with the whole, the whole notion of pay to play here in the United States. We, me personally, I feel like there's a lot of obstacles for people. You see a big drop off in participation in soccer, you know, around like 12, 13, that in that age range where if you're on the border and you can't afford it, you just go play something else. You know what I mean? Like, but if you're, if you're good enough to get, you know, the team to pay for you or to cover your expenses and stuff like that, you, you stay with it. So I feel like there's a lot of, even at the adult level, there's a lot of apps and a lot of different sort of like companies out there trying to just take up public spaces and then uh, charge people to use them. For us, we are all about providing as many free to play opportunities as possible as we can. Currently in LA, we have three to four games a week that are totally free to play. You just show up and you can play and provide everything. In Dallas, we have it once a week. In Kansas City, we have it once a week. We're starting in... um minneapolis nashville and sacramento in the next month so oh, we have in new york and harlem we have one in harlem we're going to start one in queens that'll start probably in three weeks so it's just about creating all these different free-to-play options so you don't have to like log onto an app and pay ten dollars to go play somewhere and it's like total crap you just show up and you you just enjoy the game and there's 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 no barriers you know it's just about eliminating the barriers and just um for free if someone wanted to find out where they wanted to come and play at one of these free matches where is the best place for them to find that information just on our instagram so we have a link tree on our instagram just go on there and you press find a pickup game and it's right there we'll be launching an app here in three weeks saturday's football app so that app will be more of our content because we're starting to shoot shows now uh we have a we have a kit show we're doing a food show we're doing a lot of different sort of content now we're moving the brand into not just being clothes, but also being content outlet. So we'll have, we'll have about five different weekly shows that we'll be shooting and producing and airing. So that'll be on there. The pickup stuff will be on there. All that information you're going to want to see um, about the brand and what we're doing will be on that. In starting all of these pop-ups across the United States in so many different states, the impact is bound to be large on the game. So five, 10 years from now, what are you hoping to see developed from all of these free-to-play pop-up events? We want to create a bunch of um, Saturday's football locations in these different markets. So that doesn't mean selling stuff. That just means we want to have people in those markets that enjoy doing what we do, which is just living the same sort of lifestyle that we live, which is playing several times a week, you know, hanging out, talking about kids, talking about football, just all that. So 
you know, before the pandemic, we had several corporate sponsors ready to go for this, where they were just going to be able to pay for the fields, pay for everything, you know what I mean, to provide these free to play opportunities for people. So yeah, five to 10 years from now, what I foresee, what, what our goal is, is to create 50 of these chapters, Saturday's football chapters in different cities, where it's all funded by corporate America or sponsor that can be the hero of free to play. You know, we want what better way for a company to support the football community than to bring that barrier down, that pay to play barrier down. So we want to be sort of the vehicle to do that. And right now, before pandemic, we had like 20 something ready to go. And then it just all fell apart, you know, during COVID because everything just shut down and companies weren't doing anything. And we were, people were not allowed to play for a while. It's all getting started back up again. We're like really focusing a lot of energy on this. It's not a, a money thing for us. 100% of whatever these sponsors were going to put in was going to go into like just providing what people needed in those markets to play. We didn't even take, we weren't even going to take an administration fee, nothing from that. We just want 100% of the proceeds to go directly to creating these really cool environments for people that want to play, hang out, talk about kids, talk about football, talk about the national team, just like, you know, a community. Speaking about COVID, um, you had opened House of Football right at the beginning of the pandemic. So what was it like for you to have your business at the beginning of COVID and not necessarily be able to utilize any of the resources of the storefront, of the bar, of the pitch? And, you know, what was it like for you to be able to keep it afloat and be able to see this through and now be able to see your vision of what you probably expected it to be come to fruition? We're fortunate. You know, I have a lot of friends that own businesses that that really, really got hit hard by the pandemic. I know that there's so many people out there that the pandemic was a total and complete disaster for them uh, business-wise, let alone all the health implications and whatnot. But, you know, we had a very, very strong e-commerce business. So we were able to cover all of our expenses through our e-com revenue our sales online of our Saturdays football merchandise and, and vintage kits online and stuff like that. So we were able to just, you know, weather the storm with that revenue stream. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal at all for us. Obviously now it's just amazing now that we are able to utilize the space and to have activations and to be able to use the store and, and all that stuff. So we, we were only able to really do it is because Saturdays football had like such a really strong e-commerce sales revenue. The soccer culture, you can tell just based on your life and the, and the endeavors that you have, it's big in your life. It's very important to you. It's almost like you actively are looking for opportunities to build upon what you've already built. What is it about the soccer culture that makes you want to be a contributor in this way? I think after you've been in this, like I said, I'm 47. I've, I've been crazed about this since I was like, you know, 12. So that's a long time. There's a lot of years. So as you can imagine, I've seen it from being the kid who, who went to school in gazelles and people are like, what the hell are those shoes to now like seeing rappers wear soccer kits is so strange to me because I come from a place where I've been participating in this for well over 35 years. You know, I've always been in fashion. I've had other businesses. I've owned, you know, like third division teams. I've done like all kinds of stuff in my life, but the one consistent thing has always been 
been football, you know, I've been in stadiums all over the world. I've been to Super Clásicos. I've been to Camp Now. I've been to, you know, stadiums in England. I've been done all that. Like, and, and, you know, for me, I've just been so deep into it for so many years that we now it's like we everything, the way we live our life, me, my coworkers, our content team and everything it's just we just live it every day so i don't know it's kind of like we just literally live this every day for so long that it's just our life you know so i'm curious about the lafc impact on the world of football here in los angeles as a person who's been observing this for your entire life since lafc has come to town have you seen an impact or what would you say is the lafc effect on the football scene here in Los Angeles? I think that when LAFC came aboard, it was just something that people were just kind of like waiting for. I think to put a stadium in downtown LA was, would have been a crazy thought, you know, 10 to like five, even five years before it, before it happened. I think that a lot of people that maybe were on the fringes of, of being into football just jumped right in, you know, they, they converted, LAFC converted a lot of people into the lifestyle, the getting to know the game, getting to know the culture. We're at a different time, right? Like I can turn on my TV at any moment. I can watch the best football in the world. I can watch United play City. I can watch, you know, like anything. So, so you know, the MLS compared to those levels is not that high, but the culture here is fantastic. And I think LAFC did a really good job of focusing on the people the people who support, the people that come to the matches, the people that are getting involved. You know what I mean? I think that's like, they, they focused on the lifestyle, which is a big, important part of the game. And they've done a really great job at it. So everybody loves being involved with the team. The landscape here in Los Angeles has, has had to have changed over the, you know, 35 to 45 <laughs> years that you've been a contributor to this. What is your favorite thing that you feel that you've seen change in that time here in Los Angeles? I was talking about this the other day. There's some, you know, people just hang out here now at, the, at this, our location. They'll just come by and hang out during the day and talk and, and, you know, watch a few Champions League matches and talk about kits and just that. And I was just, I'm thinking back, you know, and I, I was talking to our head of content, Michael, and I was like, man, if I was like 17 and I had an academy system to play in, a house of football type place to hang out at. So like, what would I have actually, what would have happened to me? Like, I would have been light years of, ahead of, of where I am now. When I was growing up, all the coaches were dads and the, you know, there was no football on TV and LA was basically, I was the, the white kid with all the Latino kids, you know what I mean? Because that's the only way you could get a really competitive game. You know what I mean? And I had to play on those teams to get better and now there's like a club soccer team on every corner <laughs> like there's so many competitive you know avenues now for footballers that i didn't have and, and so I, mean, I don't know it's like light years of like from where it was in la you know 30 years ago it's kind of unimaginable if you told me even in 19 you know when i was a <laughs> I'm age myself here i was a freshman in 1988 in high school so you can imagine our soccer team was like the last thing on anybody's mind in high school. <laughs> and now it's just, it's just huge. So 
yeah, it's changed so much. It's incredible. Earlier in the month or in the summer, we there was an LAFC uh, event at House of Football. Is that something that you are going to continue to try and have our events with LAFC host watch parties and, and have events like that so that our listeners, if they weren't able to go to the 1800 event, that they have future opportunities to participate? Yeah, we have a, we're, we're going to keep working with LAFC. We have really good relationships with, with everybody there. So yeah, we've had a watch party here, two watch parties here. They've both been fantastic. We're going to be showing the matches in the evenings coming up. We do have like a, a quick hiatus for like a Halloween thing here. And then we're back at it again. But yeah, no, we're, we're, we have a really good relationship with LAFC and Rich and all those guys over there. So we, um, I'm, who I've known for, I don't know, I think I know Rich for like 15 years or something like that well before any of this. So it's really great to see him and, and where he's at now and what a great job he's done with with the brand and with the team and everything. So yeah, him and I go way, way, way back. And and yeah, we're going to be having stuff for the next, you know, five, 10 years here. Ooh, that I, I really want to know some of those old Uncle Rich stories. Uh, you, got a, <laughs> you got a good one you can lay on us? Oh man, my... Uh... <laughs> There's some good ones. There's some good ones. I always tell Rich, man, what are you doing even doing this? You should be the mayor of Los Angeles. Like, what's wrong with you? He's, uh, I, I go, as much as you're doing now, you could, could easily become the mayor of LA. Hey, hey, let me just record it right now. So when he does become the mayor, you guys have evidence that I called it first. I'd be honest, I'd vote for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, he, he's, uh, He's a connector. He's a good guy. He's, you know, he's all these things that you need to be to be successful at his, at his job. I'd like to know how you met Rich. Where, how did you meet him and where was it at? All right. So, so when I was, when my legs were much younger, Rich used to just be like an organizer of teams, right? Like, was like 15 years ago. I mean, he had a team and he'd always call uh, me and one of my friends when there was a final or a semifinal to come just find, just win, win the league. And he's like, okay, guys, guys, we have a final at Crossroads at 6 PM. Can you be there? And then, then after that, it led to watching matches together, going out, like, you know, doing the Hollywood thing for a little bit together and just all that kind of stuff. So of course, everything originates in football. So yeah, it originated for, you know, him and one of my other buddies being his ringers on his uh, adult team. That's awesome. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love the Rich stories, dude. That's so good. Like Rich is such a good dude. I think honestly, everything that Rich and the, the community around the 3252 and LAFC, that's part of those are some of the reasons that I think LAFC has been so successful here in Los Angeles, but is there anything else that you would feel are contributing factors as to why LAFC has been so successful now in this day and age, as opposed to, you know, a different time, uh, a different club or things like that? You know, Rich and I, we were sitting down the other day and we're just like, you know, we're, you know, at the time I was doing businesses, he was doing his thing. This was like maybe like 10 years ago. And, and we're sitting down now and think going like, wow, look at this. Rich is doing, you know, such a great effort and so many cool things at LAFC. And I've got this, you know, brand and opening these house of footballs over the country. It's just the timing was just right for LAFC. I think it's just such a perfect, perfect timing for the team to come in, in the right location at the right time. And to take it in the direction of the people that support the team. 
because they're always going to be there. The culture is what it's about. And the culture is just growing. There's just been this like growth spurt over the last, like I would say five years. It's been incredible in football culture in America where you see people doing podcasts, people doing shows, people starting these little brands all over the place. I mean, there's so many little brands and, and people doing interesting things in art and clothing and music. Now there's like all these, you know, local like rappers who, who, who use football content in their raps. And like, it's just crazy. I mean, you, that wasn't happening 10 years ago. None of this was happening 10 years ago. So I think that like LAFC just embraced all of that and did such a good job in supporting it. And yeah, and, and the stadium environment's amazing. Um, the focus was just on the right stuff at the right time. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for spending your time with us today. We really appreciate it. Again, our guest today was Matt Davis at that Matt Davis, and he runs House of Football, which is in L.A. It's a place for you to go and watch matches, play some 3v3. There's the Saturday's football store on the uh, the main the main floor of the uh, old church that is at Saturday's football and at the H-O-F-L-A for the House of Football. Also coming soon is the FIFA area for you to play some FIFA against your friends, you know, and please go out, support Matt, support everything he's doing. Please follow along on the link tree for Saturday's football. And if you guys want to go play for free, that's also something that he's working on. The name of the show is Shoulder to Shoulder. It's a theme of our show. It's a theme for LAFC. Uh, in our community and uh, we ask this to every guest at the end of every show so Matt what does shoulder to shoulder mean community just building a community around the team that's that's it for me shoulder to shoulder it's just it's just building a football community around around the club beautiful eloquent simple community I love it thank you very much again Matt please and by all means all of our listeners go out subscribe to house of football subscribe to Saturday's football follow along, come to the events, be part of the culture, be part of the community, do yourself a favor, go watch a watch party at this church is amazing. It is one of the best viewing experiences I've ever had. It's so intimate, so cool, so fun, you know, for you to be able to watch the match and then go upstairs at halftime and go look at all the kids, find your favorite club, find your favorite kit and just put it on, buy it. It's all around good stuff. So again, thank you very much, Matt, for taking the time today. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the future and we'll have to get you on, you know, maybe next season we'll get you on and you can talk to us about some of the other house of footballs that you've got going on in other parts of the States. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And I love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. Perfect. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Well, that was our interview with Matt Davis of Saturday's football and house of football. Please give him a follow at that Matt Davis at the HOFLA for house of football and at Saturday's football for following all that beautiful kid gear. We'd like to thank you all for listening to episode 102. Special thanks to our opponent, correspondent Jamin Moore at Jmore Quakes from American Soccer Analysis at Analysis Evolved, and of course, covering the Quakes for Quakes Epicenter at Quakes Epicenter. So thank you all for listening. On behalf of myself, Chris Christian, and sound engineer Wilson, we'd like to thank you all for listening to the show. And with that, take us home, Sticks. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that. Bitch.